0: Today's episode is brought to you by me. Earlier this year, I wrote a best-selling book entitled Be Left Behind, Discover Bitcoin and Cryptocurrency Before Your Grandmother Beats You to It. If you've ever been curious about Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, blockchain, and what's, what the technology is about and where the potential for the market could go, this is the perfect book for you. It is also written in a way where anybody can understand. My mother loves this book, and she is not technically savvy. In fact, the day after I gave her a copy of this book, she was explaining blockchain to my father on a trip to Chicago, and it was hilarious. The book is available anywhere books are sold, Amazon, Barnes & Noble's, or you can go into your local bookstore and request a copy. If you would like a personally autographed signed copy, go to yuricataldo.com and it's very easy to select one and reach out to me and I will be happy to sign and send you a copy of the book. This episode is also brought to you by meetfox.com. Meetfox is a women run organization that allows you to monetize your time with online meetings. If you're a coach, if you're a consultant, if you're an expert that charges anybody to work with you, if you want to try something new in 2021 and start making money from your expertise, Meet Fox is the perfect place for you to do that. It allows you to use their very simple in- interface to schedule meetings with a single click It allows you to set up your online meetings and charge for them with instant payments or automatic invoicing. It is a very simple, easy to use system. If you go to meetfox.com and use the promo code URI at checkout, that's Y-U-R-I, you will get two months for free to test it out. I personally use MeetFox for all of my meetings and right now I am a mentor that works with Mass MassChallenge, Techstars, MIT, and Yale with a lot of their startups, and this is my preferred platform. Right now, if you're stuck, if your company needs help with PR, marketing, media relations, or business strategy, or if you're just trying to think through how to transition to a new career, go to advanceyourart.com or yuri.cataldo.com, find my MeetFox Fox link, and book a time with me. I would love to chat with you and help you through whatever problems you have.
1: Welcome to the Advance Your Art podcast, where we talk about the journey from artist to entrepreneur and everything in between. You've worked hard to hone your craft. Now take it to the next level with tips, techniques, strategies and
0: routines used by successful artists to grow their businesses and careers. Now, let's get started and have some fun with your host, Yuri Cataldo. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Advance Your Art with Yuri Cataldo. If you're interested in learning how to build a company, make money from your art, or transition to a new career, you've come to the right place. As always, if you like this episode, please remember to subscribe and share it with a friend. Today, I'm sitting down with Dana Ray, arts and culture communications consultant. Dana, hello. Welcome to the show. How are you?
1: Hi, Yuri. Hello, everyone. I'm doing well. I'm happy to be here.
0: Wonderful, wonderful. And where are you calling in from?
1: I am in the D.C. metro area, which means I am not in the city, but I can reach it by metro.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. And how are things in the D.C. metro area this time of year, in the fall?
1: Uh, We are currently Mm pre-election, and so things feel like a storm waiting to break. And by the time this podcast reaches your ears, something interesting and probably unexpected will have happened. And any answer I give now will be inaccurate by the time
0: you hear this podcast. Oh, that's so, so true. Exactly. Um, So, yeah, well, that's good then. Um.
1: (laughs) It's an interesting time to live here. Basically, that's what's happening.
0: I bet. Um, So... All right, so how do you describe yourself and what you do?
1: Oh my, so my title, let's put air quotes around communications consultant because mm-hmm. the reality is if you call yourself a consultant, you probably do something weird and we just put the name consultant on it to try to make it sound like a thing. That's just the all of us who come from creative backgrounds and we're trying to figure out how to name things. That's what consultant means. So um, i my work is really about helping work that matters, work that has something to say about who we are as people and how we human together, making sure that is seen and heard and celebrated. Mm -hmm. And the way that I go about doing that work is helping people in arts, people who are working at a really high level of their artistry of their craft or in culture, which they have something to say about how systems and businesses and people operate together, giving them well, not really giving, helping them find the words for what they do and why it matters so that they can connect to what that work is and they can communicate it more
0: effectively. Very interesting. Okay. So we're going to get to a little that in a little more detail, but beforehand, I want to back up just a little bit and talk about Fantastic. your background. So Penn State, Bucknell, what originally made you want to study and go to both of those institutions?
1: Well, I grew up in Hershey, Pennsylvania, and I conveniently had a parent who was employed by the university um, at the Hershey Medical Center. And so Penn State was an obvious choice because it financially was going to work out. And they had a great English department. I knew pretty early on that I wanted to study words. I wanted to study literature. Mm -hmm. Didn't know what that meant in terms of a job, what I wanted to be. I loved writing. I was always writing stories and that kind of stuff. So ended up at Penn State, got a degree in English and had some very, very wise mentors who said, do not go get an MFA until you've lived your life a few minutes. Like, don't don't go back to school for this this is that's a terrible plan to do this the moment just because you like writing don't stay in school yeah and so i took their advice and i took a few years and i lived and i had a job and i worked uh in a nonprofit, uh working with college students helping them figure out who they wanted to be and the people they wanted to become and then i got a fulbright english teaching assistantship went to bulgaria of all Mm -hmm. places and was teaching High school kids, critical thinking, creative thinking, all in the guise of teaching English. And, Wait, so just
0: yes. to interrupt for one second. So did you get to choose where you go or is it chosen for you?
1: I got to choose.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. And you chose, why did you choose Bulgaria?
1: So I I think the first understanding that there was a bigness to the world beyond my immediate community as a small kid mm. was when there were conflicts in Bosnia. Okay. That's when I understood that there were kids who were my age, who were living somewhere else, and they were going through something completely different than what I went through every day. And I guess that must have planted an interest in the Balkans. Like Greece is there. I've just always been interested in that part of the world. And I had an opportunity to go um, with some people that I knew for a couple weeks to a kid's English language camp. And I loved it. I loved Bulgaria. It is a stunningly beautiful country. The culture is fascinating. The people are interesting. The food's amazing. And I was like, I could live here. Let's do it. Let's let's go try it. And that's how I ended up in Bulgaria. <laughs> um, so I, I've spent a lot of time doing a lot of different types of things before I ended up doing this. And how I ended up doing this was ending up back at Bucknell to get a master's in English with full intentions to go be the professor that I always meant to be. I always meant to come back around to that MFA master structure. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: But at that point, I realized that what I wanted out of life is not something that academia was going to offer me. Mm. So I got a master's and said, I'm not going to go find a PhD program. And that left me with the question of how do I use my two-year degree in personal essay constructed and 19th century literature written by women, what on earth does that mean for putting food on the table? And I started freelancing because I didn't know what else to do and ended up with a job at a B2B tech marketing company um, through some freelance work and stayed there for a bit. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, marketers are just storytellers. That's cool. And the part that I loved the most was the branding part, helping our clients figure out who they were and what they wanted to communicate. And I ended up launching out on my own to do that. And that's what I've been doing for three years now.
0: Yeah. Wonderful. So let's talk about the process of you launching your own consulting firm. (laughs) So Mistakes. Mistakes (laughs) everywhere. Right. So I guess, well, from the beginning, what was the moment when you were like, you know what, I'm, I'm tired of, of working for this, you know, your, your previous job. And you're like, I'm going to do my own thing. What was that moment like, or was there a moment or was it just kind of a, like a general feeling that just got stronger and stronger?
1: There were a couple of conflating events. One was that my then fiance now husband partner,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. uh, got full-time employment as a data scientist. Mm. And I said, oh, this is what a real salary looks like. Hello. And I was also looking at my job at the marketing company where I had incredible fellow employees and a really remarkable boss. He was a very good employer. Mm -hmm. And yet I was really dissatisfied with the work I got to do. I ended up having a multiple roles that was part client account management, part copywriting, and then part branding strategist, mm. language synthesizer. And I really shone in that last, that third piece of it, the synthesizing stories and interviews into coherent action steps for our client. That was maybe on a good week, 10% of what I got to do. And the whole company knew that that's where I was most useful and where I did my best work. Mm -hmm. And I had a conversation with my boss that summer where I said, I need to do more of this. Can we change my role? And he said, we're a small team of eight. I can't afford to replace you or replace the other tasks that you're doing with another employee. And I said, okay, if there's nowhere, if there's not a space for me to grow here, then I have to leave now. Mm. And that was, it was a bummer because it was a really good company. And I, he was such a good boss that I was able to say that to him. And he was like, oh, you're, he gave me a raise. And then he was like, oh no, she was serious. Like she really even did. And I was like, yeah, I did. <laughs> um, and that's how I, the, the combination of knowing that there was a safety net um, from my partner and realizing that where I was wouldn't let me to grow any further. And so I I stepped out.
0: Yeah, excellent. And you learned a strong negotiation tactic in the process. Like just tell your boss that you're getting, your, you're getting ready to leave and then a raise comes.
1: It happened to be accurate because I got a raise and then I left. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you can use that as a tactic, but it works really well if you mean it. Yeah. They know. They can see it in your eyes. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: definitely. Not not a thing to bluff. So, okay, so you you've launched you launched the company when you were in the early stages. What types of resources were you looking at or reading or learning from to help you go from what you were doing before to actually running a a, a consulting company? So, the
1: process that I launched my company with is the process that I still use now for my client services. And that is based on both some work done by a Quaker mystic named Parker Palmer and Simon Sinek Start With Why. So between those two books, those were both about how do we listen to our life experiences and who we are and what we've seen and what matters to us and draw a through line through those experiences with language? What is that core thing underpinning? And so I, I started with those influences, and I had a really strong philosophical background for my work. Like I understood what the work was for, I understood what it was about. But my client services needed to live in a house, and that house is the business. And so I knew my skill set within my work was and is incredibly strong but it's a completely different learning curve to build a business around that skill set, And it's not easy. I made a lot of mistakes launching out because I just imitated the people I had seen around me. And they, those were either in the community that I was in at the time, it was primarily uh, white middle-aged men who had had established careers and were not running agencies. Like I had the agency model.
0: Yeah.
1: And I had the there's a lot of economic reasons for why this has burgeoned the way it has on the internet, but otherwise I had like white women with coaching businesses in the life coaching space. And those were kind of the two models I had for this weird thing that I was trying to do around language and communication and my client process. Mm -hmm. And I didn't do either very well at all. Um, But those were the kind of the two sources that I started out with to have information about and, Someone described the first year of business to me as like, you're going to dig a lot of half dug wells looking for water in that first year. And eventually you're going to figure out where you want to dig and you'll just like go into one place and get the resources you need. But it took, it's taken me a couple of years to find the voices and structures that were going to help me. Um, Cause I didn't know what I was doing. And there's yeah. so much free and half useful information on the internet. <laughs>
0: Yes, yes, there there definitely is. I um, didn't I, answer
1: your question. You were asking me to share something useful, and I told you all the things that I had done incorrectly.
0: <laughs> no, but that's, I mean, that's actually what I was asking more about is, actually, it, it's both. Um, the useful things also, you know, what the actual process was, because those are not necessarily the same thing.
1: They're not, no.
0: Yeah, but that does lead to my next question, which is about the Alt-MBA, and I wonder, so what was yes. that? Why did you decide to go with Seth Godin's Alt-MBA and what was that like? And was that helpful in the process of your company?
1: I'm gonna start with the second half of that question. Okay. The Alt-MBA is incredibly helpful for the practices and habits that allow you to be a good business leader. It is not about the infrastructure of marketing or pitching or finding clients. There have been subsequent uh, workshops in the Akimbo world, which is the company that now oversees Seth Godin's Alton MBA and several mm-hmm. other courses. The content in these courses is remarkable, but the Alton BA is really about a four week cohort experience where you practice the thinking, frameworks, and behaviors that help you lead well and help you create effectively. So it's a lot of sprints, it's a lot of projects. It was incredible. It didn't teach me the businessy side, but it gave me incredible tool sets in other areas of leading and being a person. Um, I example. chose to do Altus MBA because I had known several people who were influential in my life who'd been mm-hmm. influenced by Seth Godin's work. So Lynchpin was incredibly influential for me as I was thinking about starting work, as I was thinking about who I wanted to be in a business, as an employee, as a person. And so when I found the Alt MBA, and there were several people I knew who had done it, who were doing incredible work that I respected, and that's the other thing about the Alt MBA, it draws people who are doing cool stuff, and they're doing it in a really human, creative, um, empathetic, and humble way. Like there's a lot of humility in the people who end up in the Alt MBA, and the network in that group is like irreplaceable. That that itself is worth the the cost of entrance, but um yeah, that's how I ended up in the Seth Golden World. Because he he talks about marketing and advertising in this way that it doesn't want to exploit people. Like that's not the point of good marketing. Good marketing is truth telling. Bad marketing is a lie.
0: Yeah.
1: And with that kind of ethical framework, there's a lot of room to do interesting things and to do it in an interesting and meaningful way. So mm. I, in terms of like learning how to think about business, I love the golden world.
0: Yeah. Um, Good, good to know. Um, Okay, so with that, why particularly did you decide to focus on the arts with your consulting company?
1: I, from the personal side, it's the experience of, asking that question, how do I put food on the table with this creative skill set that I've been developing and practicing? I get that question. I've done it. It's not an easy question to answer. And it's one that I care about a lot. The second one is that I really love working with people whose work doesn't fit into an easy category. Like with the word consultant, we're like, what is a consultant? Nobody knows. We just give it to the name of people we don't know what to do with. Art is kind of the same way that you... You are in art because you are making something in a way that doesn't fit neatly into commodification. And yet you are being asked to function as a business and a creative entrepreneur and a leader and a commentator. Those are really hard to do no matter who you are. And the bonus of the arts is they're really, they're saying stuff that's worth hearing you're doing stuff that's worth engaging in and without the skill set to say what your work is about we might miss it and i don't want that to happen i'm tired of that happening
0: so so in your in your practice then how do you take somebody through that process of, of figuring out both the internal and external communication part
1: I believe we're starting with the internal. Mm -hmm. And so the process for that is a three-hour workshop to begin. And in that workshop, we have two parts. The first part is data collection. And the second part is sentence ideation. The data we collect are experiences from your life and your work where you have felt most like yourself. It can be from your art practice. It could be from a job. It could be from when you were five. I don't care. The theory is that you're the same person who's shown up in each of those moments and each of those moments have held a similar experience or narrative for you. Mm -hmm. And so who is the you who's been in each of those places? We take all of those stories and we identify what are the themes, the features, what's the activity that keeps showing up? What is the thing that you're doing in each of those spaces? Because there's often consistency between each of those moments with that pile of words that we've identified, we then go into a sentence ideation process. And this is pretty similar to Simon Sinek's why finding, Uh, but we will use a sentence template called, I do blank, what is the verb that I am doing so that there is is a result. And I'm always pushing my people to, well, really we, (laughs) I don't let them leave until they have language that is not about being a painter or being an artist or, the, the The surface detail of their work, but what is the verb underneath that? Are they seeing, hearing, exploring, empowering? what is what is the thing that happens that when they show up in a room and they are themselves, that just magically occurs you can't can't help it? Mm-hmm. I call that the ground truth statement. Um, and so from that information, which is designed for them, it's not designed to go in a bio or on a website. That language can then connect them. To clarity around decision-making, communication structures, how they want to do their work, where they want to do it, who they want to do it with, whether they just want to go get a job. Using that information, they can say, what does it mean to be me? How do I build my work in alignment around that? And the second piece, just take that information and translate it into external communication. Most of my people, they just need a bio. and That's, kind of, that's a very common outcome. I need to be able to say my work in a couple of sentences with some background about me. I need to be able to submit it to grants or my website or job application or my LinkedIn profile. Those are the things that they're looking to be able to do. And I have a a structure that you can use, but using the language that connects with them, I'm not interested in giving them my words for their work. I want them to have their words. So if they're in a room with someone and someone says, well, what do you do? You don't say oh well i'm i'm an artist and i do stuff with like ceramics and a thing and like i don't know what that means um but one of my clients that i've worked with recently her work is about taking us from passive hearing to active listening passive seeing to active looking and to be able to go from the passive to the active engagement is the core of her work and all of her art is about that and she's an interdisciplinary sculpture. Her work doesn't fit in a genre. It's weird, but there's a consistent idea that she's exploring and trying to communicate in the work that she just keeps circling back over. So Mm. what's that, what's that line? What's that idea that she can tell people that her work is for?
0: Yeah. Interesting. So what types of I guess, f- focuses or individuals do you work with the most these days? Or do you have any? Like like kind of like fit into that type of box or is it just like artists in general?
1: There are a couple of common features. I don't know the shorthand words for this. I've been trying for years. But mm-hmm. here are the features that my people typically have. They are at a really high level They're several years down the road into their training and their making. They're not new to this. They have something very specific that they're exploring and they're having trouble putting words around those ideas to communicate. That's like the barrier to their next step. And then my people also tend to be very focused on human impact. What does it mean to be a person? How are we people together? And their work intersects with that in some way. So while I say I work with artists, my most recent client is a strategist in global health and is doing messaging work around vaccine acceptance in sub-Saharan Africa with the World Health Organization. So for me, she still fits into my category of, her work is done with an incredible level of artistry. Mm -hmm. Her work is about people are humaning together. She's been doing it forever. Um, She's incredibly good at what she does and the barrier to getting more of those kinds of projects is people being able to say, hey, you got you to go call Leslie Ann Long for this thing and giving them those words to talk about her when she's not there.
0: Yeah, okay. So how, how has your business changed during COVID or, or has it changed?
1: It's changed in that I know that I cannot continue doing one-to-one client work. My model needs to change for group experiences and group learning. And Mm -hmm. I'm currently in the process of figuring out what that would look like.
0: Great. Is that where you see, I guess, the evolution of your your company evolving, like ways to, I guess, can and clone yourself in a way?
1: That's that's the current scheme, is to take the process that I teach in workshops. I I do some group workshops, but to take that into an online context where people Mm -hmm. can guide themselves through it, be in small cohorts and go through it. That's, that's the next thing that needs to happen. I want to see more community form from the work that I'm doing. I know so many cool people mm-hmm. and they need to know each other. And just yesterday I got them all in a room for the first time and I was like, y'all should be friends, hang <laughs> out. And I, I led an experience. I didn't just leave them in a room by themselves. Right. Um, but it was a Zoom room also, we were not in person. So I, they all went into breakout rooms and got to know each other. And we asked questions about how do we work and create in the uncertainty of life right now. Mm-hmm. And so I want to see more of that happen as well. Um, but yeah, my, I, I think I will always work one-on-one with people. That's how I prefer to do it. But that's not always what is possible. And I want these tools to be more widely available.
0: Yeah. So with your, your clients, or even in your own life, how do you approach the idea of uncertainty and fear and push past it?
1: There is a international poker player named Annie Duke. And she's written a couple of books about decision making. But the core idea that she talks about, and I learned this in the Alt-MBA, but recently revisited it. It's that a good decision is not one that has a good outcome. Mm -hmm. It's one that has a good decision-making process. So if you're in poker and you are paying attention and you have the odds right in your head, you can say, Oh, if I play my cards this way, I'm most likely to win. But there's always a couple of percentage points that say you're, it's not going to work out that way. Mm -hmm. And no matter how thorough we are with our decision-making it might not end up the way we want it to. Doesn't mean that we made the wrong choice. And so the focus needs to be on, and I I talk about decision-making because I actually looked up the history of the word certain in preparation for this conversation that I had with my people. And the history of the word certain uh, has some connotations in French about measuring decisive decision-making devising the essence of something. To be certain is similar to be positive, to like declare the, the essence of something. Mm-hmm. So when we look at uncertainty to not have this information about what is, it's very similar to decision-making. How do we move forward? How do we know what something is? I think the best that we can do is just like ask really good questions and try to make decisions with what we have, which tends to go back to what do our values... Say to us about those decisions? Mm-hmm. Who are we? What are we trying to go for? What does success mean for us individually? And for me, that comes down to connection and creativity and respect. Those are those are my three values um, that I met actively measure in my work. Am I is my work building connection between myself and other people, between them and their people? Creativity, are we making something new for the very first time? Is this gonna be Um, is it going to challenge us that we're going to have to overcome something like that's creativity Mm -hmm. and then respect is, am I recognizing the dignity of other people? Am I recognizing the dignity of my own status as a human being? (laughs) So if I go back to those, suddenly my choices seem a little bit clear. Like if I'm trying to align my choices through those lenses, I can't, I can't screw up too badly. Where it'll be like a mistake worth making. I don't, I don't
0: know. So in, I guess in in that context, in your own decision making, do you yeah. like? How do you decide then? Is it if it checks all three boxes, it's a good decision, or what's your own decision making framework for things?
1: So I use a couple of decision making frameworks. Uh, one is prevent, allow, reward. Will this, will this opportunity or this choice in front of me, will it allow me? to be who I am to act from my values and my ground truth? Will it Mm -hmm. prevent me or will it reward me? Will it actively celebrate who I am and what I'm bringing to the table? And if it's not, and you can, you can play with those different levels, but in general, you don't really want to go somewhere where there's going to be active pushback to what you're bringing to the table. It's just, it tends not to be worth the energetic effort. Right. Um, unless you're protesting for human rights and then we have to live with the ridiculousness, but that's, that's a different issue than most individuals. And so that's prevent, a allow, reward. And then another okay. one that I love doing is the three-story method. So I identify something similar to this in the past, something similar to this in the present, and something that I would want to happen in the future. Mm-hmm. And I look at what are the qualities of each of those stories that I value and how can I prioritize those in my decision-making? So that's, that's another way I do it. It's kind of like the ground truth process, but a little smaller scale.
0: Yeah. Oh, excellent. Yeah, these, So these two processes that you go through, where did you oh, oh, oh. L- learn and them from? Oh, one more? Okay. There's a third one. There's
1: a third one. <laughs> I, have, I have a little ebook that I've written on this, actually. Okay. Um, because it's a way of helping my clients use the ground truth process. So once you have this language, how do you integrate it and start applying it to your work? So the third one is um, overheads. Okay. Joy quota, overhead and quotas, joy overhead, um, emotional overhead, and financial overhead. And you can play with the levers on those for what you need at any given time. Do you need more joy? Do you need more emotional space? Mm-hmm. Or do you need more money?
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. So actually, that was my lead to my next question, which I think you just said you have an ebook. But where, for the listeners who are interested in hearing more about this process, where can they learn about these different uh, decision making processes
1: um so currently i offer the the ebook to people who've come to my public workshops so if you mm-hmm. want to know when those are happening uh get on my newsletter i write i love writing letters i send them out on a regular basis you can join at dana m Com, and all i have several other blogs about the ground truth process and other systems that i use in my work so you can find all of that there
0: oh very cool but before we go, I'll let you go, because we're, we're almost out of time here. I, I wanted to find out, um, in what you've done and experienced so far, what would you say has been the best advice that you were ever given?
1: I have a tendency, as many creatives and artists and high-achieving people in unique Lines of work, um, we tend to have a really high expectations for ourselves and set timelines or ideas of how things are going to work out that might not happen that way. And there can be a lot of stress around trying to control those outcomes, especially as a solopreneur where you're kind of used to being in charge of everything and you think that you should be able to control everything. But I had an advisor tell me in college once that it is important not to use stress to get work done because stress and last minute panic is like espresso. And if you drink espresso too often, you'll lose immunity to it. So save your espresso of panic for the moments that really, really need it. And otherwise, how can you live on a daily basis with your your normal herbal tea? How How can you not create from anxiety about what tomorrow is going to bring. That's <laughs> yeah. not, that's not easy to do. I don't know. I, doing that is a whole life's work, but it is, it's something that I've tried to live towards less espresso, more tea.
0: Great. Great. Well, that's wonderful. Well, I, again, Dana, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. And I know you've, you've already um, mentioned your, your website, but are there other places that people can go online to see what you're working on, or if they want to sign up for your courses, or is that the best place to go?
1: The website is the best place to go. I also hang out on Instagram at at Dana M Ray. So okay. between in the website and my letters on Instagram. That's where I live. Then.
0: Fantastic. And I will put links to both of those in the show notes. So again, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Yuri.